We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. John A1 said, on the message board, I compared Riley Leonard to Marcus Mariota as a comp on the question posed by Andrew Gilmore. Is there a good comp to Riley Leonard? So the the comp, Ryan, just I don't know if you saw that thread, but the comp that Andrew Gilmore made, and, 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 I, and, I, and I understand it, although I don't agree with it, was Jake Locker. I don't I think Jake Locker is a really good comp for Riley Leonard uh, for a, a several reasons, although I don't take that as an insult because I think Jake Locker was a really good college football player. He's a playmaker. I think Riley Leonard's a better thrower than Jake Locker was. They have different arm talent. You know, it, it, Jake Locker was about power. I think I, I think Riley Leonard is not. I think Riley Leonard has a more natural feel for throwing the football. I don't really have a great comp for Riley Leonard, but I don't know that I could find a better one than Marcus Mariota. There's some differences in how they play. There's some, you know, I think Marcus to me, Ryan was a little bit more explosive vertically. Yeah. I think Riley's a little bit more elusive. So, you know what I mean? Similar production. I think that their arm, their releases are different. Marcus did not have a big arm. Riley doesn't have a big arm. I think there's a lot of similarities between the two. Their systems were very different, but yeah, yeah. I, I think that's about as good of a comp as I can think of. If you're if you're going to try to to find a skill set and a style of play that matches what Riley Leonard did, I, I don't know that I can think of a better one. I don't know if you have a better one, Ryan. If you've thought about this, I have a better one, but I I I really don't know that I have a better comp for the for for him than than Marcus Mariota. I'm not saying he's going to put up the numbers Marcus did, but as far as style of play sure. impact and just playmaker, body absolutely. Type. I see a lot of it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they got similar body types. It's um yeah, I think it's a steady one. I mean, 
this is going to sound insulting to Riley, and I don't mean it this way at all, but this is just a stylistic perspective. But, like, he does remind me of a little bit more of an ex- more explosive Daniel Jones, and maybe that's a Duke comp to a degree, right? But, like, right. body type similar, arm strength yeah. is similar. I know that Riley has also kind of studied Daniel a lot, too, because right. obviously he was a former first-round pick out of Duke, and he was at Duke, right? So, But I think Marcus Mariota makes a lot of sense. I think that athletically there's some similarities. I think body types are some similarities, so... Yeah, he's an interesting one, man, because he's he's got a unique body for a dual threat, yeah. right? Like, cause, like Jake Locker was a dual threat, but Jake Locker was like six two, six three, two hundred thirty pounds, just like muscled up quarterback yeah. power dude, and just rifle arm, <laughs> you know, like that was kind of Jake Locker's thing. So yeah, definitely right. don't see some similarities there. And just did not have a great feel for throwing the football, in my opinion. Yeah. He, he really, he really didn't. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We had Quinn Kibler with the question, what school quarterback battles are you most excited for? Oregon is most intriguing, but also curious what Michigan ends up doing since there's a big name in since there isn't a big name in that room. In, in my opinion, I don't think Oregon's a battle, Quinn. Like, I don't think that's a battle. man. Yeah, I, really I, I don't think I, I don't I don't think I think the only way that Dante's the quarterback there, Ryan, is if Dylan gets hurt or struggles. Yes. I, 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 yeah. Now, could could Don? I will say this though, Ryan. Could Dante just come out there and tap into his elite gifts and beat Dylan? Now, it's possible. It's I guess, but I, I just think the experience is gonna is is is. I don't think it they brought in Dylan Gabriel to battle, and I don't yep. think Dylan Gabriel. Dylan Gabriel. I understand. Hey, I got to compete and all that. But look, when you get one more crack at this, you've got to be smart about you know. And like I've said, yep. I don't want to hear a, a high school senior asking for guarantees ever if i was a, a guy who had one year of eligibility left yeah i'm going to be asking for some guarantees at certain places because this is my last crack at it and i need to make sure that you guys are bought into me and i'm not just some stopgap until some other young kids ready to go i need some guarantees yeah and that's not about not competing that's about i got to look out for what's best for me 
with the options yep. that I have. And so w- when I'm dealing and, and that's part of the reason that Dylan left Oklahoma is because he wasn't going to get that kind of same guarantee in Oklahoma. And, and so no, I, I don't think that's the, I, I try to think, Ryan, I mean, what other battles are there going to be? Obviously Michigan, I, but I, I, I got to think Michigan's going to have their eye on the portal after the spring. I'm interested in the USC that. battle this offseason because they brought in the Jaden Maiava kid from UNLV, but Miller Moss just threw mm-hmm. six touchdowns in their bowl game. So, like, he showed that. Right. I don't know what uh, to what level it could be at USC, but, like, he just showed that, at least in a one-game sample size, that, like, I can be pretty productive in this offense. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and there, there aren't a lot yeah. of big quarterback battles this offseason, really. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of, like. Yeah, like I mean, because, like, you go or, ACC, yeah. there's going to be a battle. Who's going to replace? Um, who's going to replace Drake May? Obviously, they brought in Max Johnson, but obviously, you've got Connor Harrell there, who's a young kid that I like. But I, you know, again, I think I think Max Johnson went there thinking he's going to be the starting quarterback. Uh, Louisville, they didn't bring in Tyler Shuck to battle for the job. I mean, I think he, he's the guy. I don't really care about the replacement for for Riley Leonard at Duke. I mean, I'm looking through the ACC. I don't I don't see any battles that that are overly entertaining that I care much about. Oklahoma is not a battle. Kansas State, yep. Texas, Kansas is not. West Virginia is not. I mean, there's a lot of established quarterbacks coming back or the succession for who's going to be the guy right? is a, is kind of a, assumed at right. a lot of places, Ryan. I'm looking at the Big Ten, same thing. I, you know, I mean, MJ Morris is going to be the guy at Maryland. I mean, does anybody care about the any potential quarterback battle at Illinois? Tyler Van Dyke's not going to be part of a battle. He just falls apart. Yep. But yeah, there, there's a couple Kurt, schools. Curtis that, Rourke's going to be the quarterback for Indiana. Like there's just right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Right. You know, LSU is is an interesting one. Um, I mean, I, I think Nussmeyer's supposed to be the guy. I'm oh, not Nussme- huge. Nussmeyer's going to be the guy. He's going to be the guy. I'm not a huge Garrett Nussmeyer fan, you know, but um, I did like some of the things AJ Swan did at Vanderbilt, you know. So I mean. We'll see if there's a potential one there. Um, SEC, what else in the SEC, Ryan? I mean, I, I don't – Ole Miss is no, Georgia no, Bama's probably not. You know, we'll yeah. see if if Kalen DeBoer allows uh, Austin Mack to compete for that job or if he allows Ty Simpson or, or a guy that I would keep an eye on that I just kind of drool about thinking about his system and his arm talents. Dylan Lonergan's a guy that I would keep my eye on this spring, but I don't think going into the spring it's a battle. I think it has to one has to kind of be forced upon them would be my guess. Although I would open it up because I'm not a huge Jalen Milrow fan. AM, Missouri, Tennessee are not battles. Kentucky's not a battle. Florida's not a battle. I don't even know who the quarterbacks are at Arkansas, Ryan. Do you? I mean, who because they that KJ's Arkansas, gone. Arkansas. Arkansas. Man, that's a good question. Yeah. They, they lost the other know. kid a couple years ago, too, right? They had Malik Hornsby. He's gone too. I don't even know yeah. who he is now. Yeah. So I don't even know who their quarterbacks are. I don't know who they signed. And I'm going to go look right now to see who they signed this offseason. Right? And I know they got a portal guy, but I just don't know who it was. So let me go look. So I, like, I honestly, Ryan, there just aren't a lot of battles that I can They're see not. this year. Um, they got Taylor. Oh, they got the kid from Boise. That's right. Oh, Taylor Green. They got Taylor Green. Green. Yeah. yeah. So, again, yeah. not a battle, most likely. I mean. So mm-hmm. I don't know that there's going to be a whole lot of quarterback battles this this offseason, Ryan. I mean, we can pretend that Notre Dame's going to have one, but they're not. I mean, let's be honest. If Riley Leonard's healthy, there's no quarterback yeah. battle. So, yeah, I don't know that there's a lot of them, to be honest with you. There's not one at Ohio State. 
Let's be honest. Yeah. I was just I was just looking up some depth charts because I'm trying to find a good answer to to this question. But I just yeah, there's not really a ton of really Michigan's a ton. probably the only big time school that I can really think of that has a giant unknown at quarterback. And as I said earlier, Ryan, it would not shock me if some portal things open up after the spring and Michigan is one of those top schools that's in the conversation. I just have a hard time thinking Michigan's right. going to just turn the keys over to Alex Orgy or or the Jaden Davis kid as a true freshman. I just I have a hard time. I have a hard time believing that that's Sharon Moore's plan in year who's one. Who's even in the quarterback battle outside of Alex Orgy? I, I have no idea who's even. Well, in they the they have Jaden. They have Jaden Davis, the freshman coming in, yep. uh, who's some people yep. ranked as a a five star kid. Uh, Jack, Jack Tuttle's gone. He's done, right? Isn't Jack Tuttle done? I know he went there this year to kind of. That was in Indiana. Backup, Jack Tuttle at uh, Indiana. That? that was at Indiana. No, he was at Michigan. That he was at yeah, Indiana, yeah, right? Yeah, he's, well, I'm yeah, saying he correct, was at Indiana. Correct. Yeah, uh, correct. Tuttle is correct. not going to be a starting quarterback. They got a they got a raw kid, Jaden Denegal. He's a big armed kid, mm-hmm. but not a real natural quarterback, in my opinion. Alex Orgy and Jack Tuttle, uh, those were their quarterbacks. So yeah, I mean, I. That's what I'm saying, Ryan. Like, don't be shocked when some of these kids that think they're going to be in battles that aren't, or kids that get beat out in the spring jump in the post-spring portal, and Michigan's that first team that's calling these guys. I will not be surprised by that at all. At all. And, yeah, not at all. We had a question on our split. It says, can you talk about what really is part of the job for an associate head coach instead of just being a position coach, and is this the same at most schools or very situational? It's situational, Ryan. Some guys, are. it's just a title you give to a guy you're trying to give the pay raise to. My un, my expectation for Dylan McCullough is it will be a, a more true associate head coach role. Uh, what does that mean? An associate head coach will have certain responsibilities uh, on staff, with the team, uh, with administration, where sometimes he will be speaking for the football program if Marcus Freeman's not there, or Marcus Freeman may say, so like one of the jobs I had uh, when I was at Christopher Newport, I was, I was the as, as assistant head coach. So I was basically the liaison with the admissions department and the financial aid department. They they worked with me and then the head coach would be brought in if there was an issue or something needed to be finalized or decided. So I was the spokesman for the football program in those roles. It's a little different at a place like Notre Dame, but there'll be things like that. There will be times when Dylan McCullough will be the guy standing up speaking to the team while Marcus Freeman is kind of off to the side. He'll have certain roles like that where he will be the face of the program in certain situations. And and so with the team and outside of the team, uh, he will be in charge of maybe some oversight and different aspects like that. So an associate head coach, if it's a true position, will have some authority that other assistant coaches don't have in non-position specific matters. And, and so, and, and, also, Marcus Freeman has always struck me from what I've been told by different people is someone who wants to know what his coach's aspirations are. So that way he can kind of help them build in those areas. And Dalen was very upfront with Coach Freeman when he came that he wants to be a head football coach. And I think this is an opportunity. Yes, you're getting a pay raise and you're getting the title. But my understanding is this isn't just a pay raise role. There could have been, you know, co-offensive coordinator, run game. He already was run. There could have been other things he could have done, but I think this is also about let's help him 
be prepared to be that head coach. So now when he goes and interviews, Hey, listen, this is what I had to do another day. I had to meet with this person. You know, I had to speak with this booster club. I had to speak with this donor class. You know, that was part of my role. Coach Freeman went here. I went there. That's what, that's what yep. we did, you know? And, mm-hmm. and that's something that will look good. Hey, you had to have some responsibility that you took from the head coach. That's going to be good for you in a place like Notre Dame. It's going to help him. So that's my understanding is that there will be some of that stuff as well beyond just, the title and the pay raise. Let's be honest. That's part of it. The pay raise is part of it, of course. But yep. Coach McCullough, this is what he wants to be, and I think this is just another step to helping him get to that point, especially if Notre Dame wins. Like, look, here's the thing too, Ryan. This is another thing that you factor into it. I, I, there's a belief with this coaching staff that this team has got a chance to be really, really good. And if they are really, really good, is Ryan Grubb the offensive coordinator for the CL Seahawks if they go 8-4 and four this year? I, I doubt it. Probably not. It's, it's because they're really good. Right, and you want well, people unless to go they were still doing record. their thing offensively, and their defense was awful. Perhaps, you know, yeah, little, perhaps, yeah. perhaps. <laughs> yeah. So I just I look at it like that, Ryan, and I say that this is something that's going to help these coaches. If they're as good as we hope they are, it's going to help them as well. And th- and on top of this kind of title, it certainly helps. We had a question from Rob Osgood says, "Hey, folks, great news on the new commit. Saw many talk about his three-star level. Is he a playmaker? Yes, I'd take playmakers over stars any day. Agree. Sure. Agree sure. with you, Ron. <laughs> yep. yep. Especially when that, especially when that skill set is obviously one that is very wanted by a lot of people. Because I think that offer lists do tell more of a story than stars to that point, Rob. And you know, we're talking about a wide receiver that was wanted by Oregon and USC and Oklahoma and some SEC schools and Michigan and Notre Dame. So it wasn't like they just pulled Sean Terry out of nowhere that nobody wanted, right? Like there was a, there was a lot of, a lot of interest in Sean Terry joining many different programs. Honestly, Ryan, he has one of the most impressive offer lists of all offer lists of all 15 kids in the class. I mean, he really does. Um, Now that doesn't mean that every kid, every school that offered him, he was an immediate take today. But right. a lot of them he was. I mean, a lot but when you have that high, that many high level offers, more than likely you are a take at many different schools. So right. yes, agreed. Right. Yeah. All right. We had a. Oh, sorry, we didn't hit that one for Isaac Evans. Oh, my bad. That sorry, was my, that was my fault. That was my fault. My sorry. Let's go no, and go to this one. I will go back and find okay. the one from Isaac. Uh, John A. One says, in the projected Mike Denbrock offensive scheme, which position requires more athleticism, center or guard? If guards require more athleticism, would it make sense to move Pat Coogan to center? And Craig Ashton Craig to guard. What if guard? Well, I would look, Ryan. I'll say this: number one, yep. you build around what you have. I think Mike Denbrock is one of those coaches that will build around what he has. I don't think the interior guys for LSU last year were overly athletic, which is why they were a heavy, heavy inside zone team. I mean, I. I'm through game – I'm into game five, and I'm just doing the power five games. I'm into game five right now, and I can yeah. – other than they've ran a small handful of power with the backside guard kicking in the tackle wrapping, and they ran a couple tackle wraps against Mississippi State. Outside of that, Ryan, it is inside zone and and, and the variations of and, – and a little bit of outside zone against Arkansas – it has been a heavy big boy football game because that fit what they do at Notre Dame in 2015 when he had Quentin Nelson and he had, you know, could, could run counter right with Quentin Nelson and Ronnie Stanley coming from the backside. They ran a lot more counter. They ran a lot more buck sweep at different times. So it just, he's going to play to the strengths of the team. So 
I, I don't, I don't, I, I, I just don't think it's going to need to require a lot of guys to move around. To answer your question, however, I would say that center needs to be the more athletic position in the in, in an inside zone system. I think you sure. really need a center that can work up to the next level, because a center is going to have a lot of second level, but a center also is going to have a lot more of I've got to reach that wide technique more so than you will a backside guard in my opinion because the way that the way that Mike Denbrock runs it they're running away from the three technique so the guard needs to be physical mover that's what the need is wash that guy down we're cutting behind you and with the center it's like you got to you got to reach and get up to that second level you've got to overtake this if we're working against a you know a, a different aspect so i would argue that center of the two but I think both spots need to be a little bit more, a little bit more movers. But they're they're not gonna they're gonna play their best guys and adjust the the yeah. scheme. That that's what good coaches do. Who are my best guys? And let me fit the system around them, as opposed to here's my system. Let me find the best fits for my system. Give me my best players, and then I'll build around them. When it's early in a tenure, eventually you recruit to the, what you want to do schematically. But when you first take over, who are my best guys? How can we make it work with those guys? And I think you'll yep. see that. But I, I think this line is going to fit. If they stick to what Denbrock has done at Notre Dame, Cincinnati, and, and LSU, if they stick to that, Ryan, I actually think the offensive line they had last year is much better suited to his offense than what they tried to do most of the year last year with all the pin and pull stuff that they were trying to do. I think Rocco and Coogan are much better fits for what this offense is about. I think Zeke Correll would have been a much better fit in this offense than he was for the one they ran last year, in my view. Sure. Well, I, I think I think the John, I think there's been an evolution of the center position over the last few years. I mean, you're seeing more and more guys just generally on the college and NFL level be much more high level athletes than you once did. I mean, it used to just be kind of like physical dudes, right? Like either undersized physical dudes that are scratching claw or it's bigger guys that are you know, going to be able to hold the point and be able to, you know, block back and do all those types of things. Right. But you know, we're seeing the center position, I think evolve because in so much zone heavy approaches, whether you're talking about inside zone or outside zone, you really do need a center that's going to be able to not only work laterally, but work up to the second level a ton, because there's going to be a lot of situations where a center is uncovered and, He's going to have to work to the second level a lot in in certain scenarios in college football today. So I want to keep Ashton Craig where he is because I think Ashton Craig showed me the last couple of games of the year that I am very excited about Ashton Craig yeah. potentially at center in the next level because I think he presents because he's over 300 pounds. So he's not a small guy by any yeah. means. I think that he brings a really nice overall profile because I think he can do a lot of the dirty work point of attack stuff. But I also think that he is a very good athlete at, in, uh, at center position as well. Mm-hmm. Ryan, I think this can all be traced back to the roots, the historical roots is in the Mike Shanahan system with Tom Nalen. I brought up Tom Nalen last week, but that was that I still believe that the 1997 Super Bowl changed a lot in regard to the to the way that NFL football run games are designed. There was a lot of people going into that game that part of the reason the Broncos, everybody thought the Broncos were going to get killed is because how are these undersized interior linemen? It's Tom Nalen, Mark Schlereth. Brian Habib, how are they going to block Gilbert Brown? How are they going to block Reggie White? How are they going to block all these big studs at Green Bay, the defending champs? And they worked them. Tom Nalen was like 6'3", 280, and, they, and he was a phenomenal player. Because, Damn, and I think cool. you see it now. 
What's that? Was he that? Was he that small? Tanya? Yeah, he was, was small. Yeah, uh, but I, I'll I'll look it up. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he was an undersized guy. Two eighty five. He was listed at two eighty five. But he was. I mean, you see. I mean, the Niners are exclusively almost a zone team, and you got to be able to move at center it, it, with all the different fronts and the the a gap run throughs and things like that. You've got to be able to move, and I think you can trace a lot of that back to. To you know the the and, and it's, you say Mike Shanahan, it's really Alex Gibbs. You know, I mean Mike Shanahan and Alex Gibbs in regard to what they were looking for. And um, but when it works, everybody wants to try to emulate it. I do have that yep. question from Isaac Ryan. I was able to find it. Okay, Isaac Evans says, "What offensive weapons does Notre Dame need to sign to have a truly gap closing class around Deuce Knight in the 2025 class?" And we got one of them already, and James Lanigan, in my opinion. I mean, I think you got one of the best tight ends in the country. Agreed. Thoughts on, um, I mean, we've talked about one, Ryan. Uh, Taylor Taylor's one for me. I, I'm very high on Taylor Taylor. I think Derek yeah. Meadows is is that kind of player from a potential standpoint. Sure. Just because if he booms, he's, he's going to yeah. be a, yeah. yeah. I don't, well, I don't I, know that there's yeah. a lot of others in the, yeah. in the class I, that are on I, right now. I, 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 th- I think also the board is obviously getting a little smaller now as far as the availability to take players. And we talked about that in nauseam at the beginning of the show. But I, I think that for me, Taylor Taylor would be one uh, on both sides of the coin. I think that he brings a good floor and a high ceiling to the table. I also think that Derek Meadows and I fully, I'm fully on board with taking Derek Meadows and the simple fact of if I have a really good developer, a wide receiver coach, which yep. I think Notre Dame has, I'm good with taking that type of physical profile because there's just not a lot of six six guys that run four five flat. Just not mm-hmm. many of those dudes, man. There's just not many of those guys walking around the planet. So I'm yeah. good with that one. I think James Flanagan is a gap continuer. I don't even know if I would call him a gap eraser because you're obviously already good at tight end, but I think That's that true. he continues to that lineage. And then I think Justin Thurman's going to be a very interesting player, especially for Notre Dame at running back because he is type of he's kind of a Sean Terry type at how we talked about wide receiver where Justin Thurman brings a, a skill set that Notre Dame has on the roster, but doesn't have a ton on the roster. As far as like, you can get him involved in the passing game. You could throw him into the slot. I can even see him line up at, at slot at times and run some jets to Justin Thurman just to try to get his speed involved. Right? Like he's not mm-hmm. going to, he's not going to be the most all around back of all time. I don't even know if he'll necessarily be a, a bell cow or a lead back in any sense, but He's a guy that with his speed and explosiveness can certainly bring a dynamic to the table that you just don't have a ton of. Agree. I, yeah, agree. Vanilla Chill, if Emil Wagner can't get to an ideal weight for tackle, can he go inside to guard or center? Is he tall for center slash guard? Backwards, no, he's not too tall for center or guard. Uh, he's I actually six, be six. interested in him at center, to yeah. be honest with you. I'd be a little interested with him uh, there. But I'll yeah. say this. If he can't hold up a tackle, I don't know if you're going to want to move him inside. Number three, working backwards. Ryan, it's not about weight. So keep saying it's not about weight. He doesn't weigh that much less than what Robert Hainsey weighed his first two years as a starter. He doesn't weigh that much less than what Zach Martin start, weighed his first. Zach Martin was 290 his first two years as a starter. And, and Emil was 288. It's about the distribution of the weight. The problem that Emil has is he has a very thin lower body and a very thin core. You see him, he Ryan, you saw him at practice. He looks like a tight end. 
You line him up, uh, up the line him next up to Eli Raritan, and you really can't tell the difference. And that's the issue. It's not a, you can get him up to 290, 295, and it and it won't matter. It's can he play at the weight he is? Can he move people? Can he prevent himself from being moved? Those are the questions that you have to ask and have to be answered about a meal. So it's so much about the world. If he stays at 285, but his lower core gets stronger, his lower body gets stronger, he doesn't get pushed around the way he can at times, then he'll be fine. He could get up to 295 and still have the same problems he's having now. That That's the concern. And that was my issue when they when they got a commitment from him. You know, I said at the time, he is a low floor, high ceiling guy. I could not justify ranking him in the top 100. I think I had him as a top 150 guy based on projection alone, but he had five-star upside because it came down to it. If the kid can put the weight on, he's going to have a chance to be really, really good because you see the power. I think one of the most underrated aspects of Emil's game is he's a pretty strong kid. It's just being strong at that size. Yeah, actually, I had him as a top 250 caliber prospect coming out of high school. I just looked at my notes. But I had him with five-star upside because you could see the potential. You could see the upside. It's, it just comes down to can he can he hold up at the point of attack? Can he move people off the ball? If he can answer those questions, I don't care if he stays at 285. I really don't. For the NFL, it might matter. But for college football, I really don't care. It's about holding up at the point of attack. It's about filling out parts of his body that right now are still just a little thin and undersized. That's really what it boils down to for me. Got a question here from – actually, I'm going to hold on to that one for Ryan to get back. I think he'll like that one. John A1 says, give me your dark horse for each position on defense to win a starting role. Defensive end, either side. I kind of already na- uh, mentioned this one earlier. It's Josh Burnham. I think the assumption is that Batelho and R.J. Oban are going to start. I, I could see Josh Burnham being a, a, a dark horse starter. They're either being out or more potentially being a guy that starts at big end and they move RJ to Viper or they move Josh back to Viper to start if if Jordan Soho doesn't get better. Defensive tackle, oh, man, I, there isn't one, honestly, uh, John. The only way that anyone other than Howard Cross or Riley Moe starts at defensive tackles if somebody gets hurt. And so I don't see a dark horse there. Middle linebacker, dark horse candidate to start. Do we count Kingston as a dark horse? If you count Kingston as a dark horse, then go with Kingston. If you don't count Kingston as a dark, if you if you don't count Kingston as a dark horse, then the guy that I would say would be Jaden Osbury. I could see Jaden being a guy that moves inside to Mike and could play that position. He's not going to be any smaller than JD Bertrand was. He's not going to be any less powerful than what JD Bertrand was. He's not going to be any less physical than what JD was. And and I think he moves even better than JD. He's longer than JD, so he would be my dark horse. I think you could count Preston Zinter as a dark horse. I like Preston a lot. I think Preston still might be a year away from really pushing for a starting job, but I think Preston Zinter is a guy that's always going to get overlooked, and uh, and is a guy that I would not I would not do that with. Outside linebacker, same guy, Jaden Osbury, would be my guy there. Nickel, I, I don't know that there's a dark horse there. I think it's going to be Jordan Clark's job. If Jordan Clark gets hurt or struggles, it'll be Micah Bell. So you could go there, cornerback. Dark horse candidate at corner. Again, I, I just don't see one. I don't see a dark horse. I, I don't think any of us will be shocked whether it's Jade Mickey or Christian Gray. 
obviously Benjamin Morrison will be there. I, I just don't see Chance Tucker or Leonard Moore, Carson Hobbs really pushing for a starting job. I just don't I don't see them. Those would be shockers, and most likely it would be a bad sign if one of those if if one of Christian Gray or Jaden Mickey doesn't start. It'd probably be a bad sign. And then a safety, who's my dark horse of safety? It'd be Luke Talich, would be my number one. I don't count Adon Schuler as a dark horse because I think most of us assumed Adon's going to have a chance to battle for that job. I think Rod Hurd probably is the leader of the clubhouse for now, but Adon's going to get a whole spring with Rod not around, and Luke Talich is going to get a whole spring with Rod not around to to push for that push for that role. So I think both of those kids will have a shot to push for it. I don't think any of us would consider dark. I, at least I don't consider Adon Schuler a dark horse. I do consider Luke Talich a dark horse. Problem is, I don't know how much Luke is going to be able to participate in the spring because of the, the injury he faced he had during the season. Rob Osgood says, great show Saturday. Y'all talked about the, about Notre Dame being aggressive with money. Who do you think is more responsible, Jack or Pete? Both. I Look, I don't really care, Rob. This is not at all a shot at your question. It's a totally fine question. I just don't care to get into this whole who is more responsible, Jack or Pete. I don't know the answer to that question. I really don't care. I do know this for a fact. They have both played a big role in what's going on right now within the program, both of them. Whether it's 60-40 in Jack's favor, 60-40 in Pete's favor, 70-30 one or the other, don't know, don't care. What I do know is is that they have both been involved in, in various decisions that have come into play. I do believe we are at the point now where Pete is doing more is he fully in charge? I don't know the answer to that question, but they're both involved, and that's a good thing. And and I don't really care to spend a lot of time or use what little time I get with sources to try to find out what the difference is between the two. I think they're both involved, and they've both done played a key role in Notre Dame being where they're at right now. Next question from God, Country. Notre Dame and barbecue looking at the Notre Dame five stars who didn't meet expectations. I eat Dane Christ. Who would you want to reincarnate and be a freshman again? Assuming they all had the heart of Rudy. Oh man, that's a great question. Five stars that I would like to reincarnate with Rudy's heart or the boy. Oh boy. Um, Josh, Josh Barajas. That would be my pick. Now, he was a five-star by me. He would not be on my current system, but he would have been a top 50 guy on my current system. He's a guy that if he had Rudy's heart and work ethic, I think he would have been a really good player at Notre Dame. Really good player. That would, yeah, that would be one for me. I don't think Dane Chris had any issues with heart. I just I just think Dane had was a victim of bad luck. And Spending two years with Charlie Molnar and Brian Kelly just ruined Dane, in my opinion. And there was no salvaging him. Charlie couldn't salvage him by the time he got to Kansas. It was, it was ruined. And and I and I, it's just one of the reasons I just uh, utterly despise Charlie Molnar as a football coach. And I'm not afraid to say that because he was just not a, not a person that I think really brought the kind of uh, moral fiber to the to the position when it comes to caring about players and. uh yeah, this is a good one, Ryan. Which former Notre Dame five star you that you could recreate with Rudy's heart? I went with Josh Barajas, okay. who I had as a five star because he was a really talented kid. Same high school as, as Drake Bowen, but Josh just did not work. 
at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know of a lot of other five stars that I could really point to and say that they didn't pan out besides Dane. Cause I don't think my comment about Dane is I don't think Dane had a heart issue. I think Dane had a Charlie Molnar problem and a Brian right. Kelly problem. He just had bad luck. By the time he went back to Charlie at Kansas, it was too late. He had been kind of ruined at that yep. point in time. Does, does, does Aaron Lynch transferring after his freshman year count to this conversation? Because technically, yeah, he didn't Aaron, that's a great right? one, right? <laughs> if he had Rudy's heart, Aaron wouldn't have left. Yeah. Let's be honest about that. And he ended he up not being that – he wasn't very good at South Florida either. He was pretty good with the San Francisco 49ers for a couple of years. But that he got drafted based on potential, Ryan. Because I think yeah. he made like all – I don't remember if they were AAC at the time. I don't even think I don't so. Think Maybe Big ever... East. Were they still Big East at that point? Might have been. <laughs> might have been it. Yeah, might yeah. have been it. But like his numbers weren't knock your socks off numbers. I'm actually pulling up his college numbers now. He got like five sacks, something like that. Yeah, five. He had 12 tackles for loss and five sacks. Only had 29 tackles. He was there one year. He played one year and then left from the NFL. I mean, so the kid left after his junior year. He just was a a mess. He could have been special. Uh, man. Could have been truly special. He was so good. So good. Ryan, I saved a couple questions by past because I I thought they'd be some good ones. Go ahead. Were you going to say you have another one? Okay. Oh, no. I was just going to say one guy that I think he was still good at Notre Dame, but I still don't think he necessarily hit me at met expectations was Max Redfield. I still think Max Redfield could have been a superstar if he was like obsessed with being great. Max's issue wasn't heart. Max's issue was. Yes. Just maturity. I mean, and I think Max would tell you that, you know, and, and, and Max also didn't have the proper guidance at Notre Dame that I think he needed, you know, from a a defensive coaching standpoint, especially defensive coordinator to, to really get the most out of him. But yeah, he, he's another one. Max is a really talented player. He really was. All right. So here's these next three are the ones that I kind of passed over because I was curious. I wanted to, I figured you'd want to be able to answer some of these as well. Okay, well, Irish Blood said over under Riley Leonard will have more or less rushing touchdowns this upcoming season than Ian Book had his last year at Notre Dame. How many did he have his last year? So I believe Ian Book had nine his last year, but uh, that's 2020. So Ian Book had nine. Yes. Okay. I'd be su- a little surprised if Riley Leonard didn't have more than that. And here's why I say that. If you watch over, LSU yeah. this year, Ryan, uh, first mm-hmm. of all, Mike Denbrock had – you had – um, if you look at the just the the rushing success Mike Denbrock has had with quarterbacks, I mean Everett Golson had eight, Deshaun Kaiser had ten, and then Malik yep. would have easily had ten if he wouldn't have you know if he would have played. Deshaun had eight the next year and didn't even run it nearly as much as as he did when he was when he his first year. You look at his tenure at Cincinnati, you, his first year with with. Um, uh, he had uh, Hayden Moore had four, and he wasn't even a runner. And then you get into yeah. the Desmond Ritter era. He had five the next year. He had five the next year. He had twelve in twenty twenty one, and he had six in twenty twenty. Uh, excuse me, he had twelve in twenty twenty, six in twenty twenty one. And he and you and I talked about he didn't run nearly as much as he should have. And then the last two years, Jaden Daniels was the team's leading rusher and went over ten touchdowns both years. He had eleven in twenty twenty two and ten this year. So that's four yep. seasons with a quarterback that rushed for 10 or more touchdowns and another with eight. And part of that is he's had guys that can run, but another part of that is they run a lot of read zone in the red zone, a lot. And you're going to see Riley Leonard get at least 
four or five touchdowns this year on two yard runs where it's just read zone and he keeps it in and scores. And that's partly why Brandon Wimbush had 14 in 2017 because he had like five of those. I mean, you remember the one he had against BC? Just read zone, they crash off the edge, and he walks into the end. I mean, literally walks into the end zone. You're going to have at least two or three touchdowns like that from Riley Leonard this year, in my opinion. Just because when you break down Mike Denbrock's system, that's partly why Jaden Daniels had 10 touchdowns. He didn't have 10 touchdowns of 30 yards or more. He had like three or four of those and then a bunch of short short yard touchdowns where it was running in from one or two or three yards. So I, I I would expect him to have, if he's healthy, to have double figures this year. Plus, Riley's good enough to then rip off the long because that's the key too, Ryan. Like, okay, if you're gonna get four or five red zone touchdowns, are you athletic enough to get four or five longer touchdown runs? And I think you and I have seen enough of Riley Leonard in his two yep. years as a starter to say he's gonna have at least three or four, you know, long touchdown runs and then a couple right. of medium ones, scramble ones. Well, I, I also I also believe that I, I think that there's a couple guys in Notre Dame's roster, Hedron Young being one, Jabron Payne being another, that can be short good short yardage runners. And I think that Jadarian and Jeremiah can mix in, obviously, in those types of scenarios. But you don't really have a proven short yardage running back mm-hmm. right now. And that's and that's set in stone. The one thing that Riley brings to the table that you could do is and I don't want him running quarterback power all the time, but in a third and goal situation from the one yard line, you could run quarterback power out of gun and just let him just get in there because he's six, mm-hmm. four, 215 plus pounds. Like he's a pretty sturdy frame. Like he's, he's really, he's a strong athlete. Like people look at his frame, I think, and think that he's like a little, he's a little wiry, a little skinny, but like, he's got a, he's a pretty strong kid, man. A ton of tackles as a runner. So I think that I would also go over in that scenario because I think that the read game, on top of the power read game, on top of the just him being a really good player outside of structure on an occasional scramble, like I, I think that he has enough that's going to be able to really affect the goal line situations as well. And Ryan, the counter to that is if a Jabron, a Jadarian, a Kedron then establishes himself as a as a really good short yardage red zone weapon, then that makes him dangerous because you have to then you have to then play to them. And yep. then now you have to worry about Riley getting out the back door. And yep. and so yeah, I just I'd be a little surprised if he and he had 13 two years ago at Is Duke good? when he was when his full years a starter. And he was on pace for I think nine this year in yep. the first five games, like nine or ten again this year, uh, as well. And that's just the regular season. I didn't even count bowl game in that one. So yeah, I, I'd be a little surprised if he if he's not there. We did have a super chat that popped up down here, right? A couple that I want to get to. So we'll get to these now. First one's from Tyler Evans. Thank you, Tyler. How many wideouts go in the first round of the NFL draft? Would you rank them after Marvin Harrison Jr.? How many go in the first round? Great question. Look, Marvin Harrison Jr. will go in the first round. Malik Neighbors obviously will go in the top 10, along with Marvin Harrison. After that, you're talking about Roma Dunze from Washington would be three. I think Keon Coleman from Florida State goes in the first round. I think Brian Thomas Jr. from LSU goes in the first round. That's five right there. And there's probably one to two more that end up going. I, I think you're going to talk about six to seven wide receivers in the first round this year. After that, it's is it going to be A.D. Mitchell? Is it going to be a, a maybe a, a semi-surprise of wide receiver? Is it a Troy Franklin Jr. from Oregon? I, I think that's going to be six to seven is the number. Wide receivers after Marvin Harrison Jr. for me, 
Malik Neighbors is high on my list. This is no particular order, but if I had to round a top, let, let's just say a top five for you, Tyler. A top five in no particular order would be Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors, Keon Coleman from Florida State, Roman Dunze, and Brian Thomas Jr. from LSU. That would be a top five for me. Brian, I wanted to ask you this because I saw some debate online about this one. Where do you yep. view Xavier Worthy? I'm not he's, a he's one of the guy. more he's one of the more polarizing guys I think yeah. in this draft class. So he has so no play about strength. Worthy. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's so he's he's listed like six one. He's probably closer to six foot. He's listed at 172 pounds. He's probably right around 170, give or pay, give or take a couple pounds. Like there's there's a reality that Xavier Worthy goes to the combine is like 168 pounds. Like it, it's possible, right? So he's got a very unique body type and a historically unique body type like there's just not a lot of type of not a lot of guys you're going to find that are six foot plus that are 170 give or take a couple pounds like that's just a very strange body type the kid's incredibly fast explosive i mean short area explosive and long speed he's got all the athletic gifts and he can be an after catch demon at times but man his hands are not great (laughs) like i mean even this yeah. year was better than it was in 2022, but like he really fights the football. He's a body catcher, just some bad drops on film. It's like once or twice a game, you're just like, dang, bro. Like it, yeah. it's not, it, it's like routine catches too. It's not like high, you know, a, a high leverage situation, working through contact. It's just like he just has some bad ball skills, I, I think, at yeah. times, and he has no play strength. So I would be willing to take a gamble on late day two in a certain situation as a. So you say like third round. Game. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Third, fourth round, because, I would be there with Xavier Worthy, but he's not a first round pick just because his ball skills and, and hands are just not good. It's just not a good combination. The first thing that I've seen people point to is, well, Devontae Smith was only six foot one seventy five, and I have three things about that. Number one, Devontae Smith's overall game was far more advanced than Xavier Worthy's. Number one, number two, Devontae had much better play strength than what Xavier had, and number three, Devontae had some of the best ball skills you're going to see. Xavier has none of those things. He's literally fast. That's it. I mean, to me, that's it. There's no comparison between him and Devonta. Yeah. No comparison. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you have to – you'd be silly not to take a chance on him in round three. Or if you're a really good team and you are kind of in a good position and you're late round two, you know, you're you're the Chiefs or the 49ers or some team, you're like, look, we don't need you to be anything but a speed guy. You know, whatever. I mean, sure, yep. sure. Maybe one of those teams could maybe take a flyer in round, late round two. But I'm glad you said late day two because that's kind of how I see him. Yeah, really good weapon in college as a complimentary player, sure. but he's just yeah. not that dude in my opinion. He so reminds me D- different body type to a degree, but he reminds me a lot of Marquez Valdez Scantling, who just won a Super Bowl with the Chiefs. Yeah. It's like occasionally he'll make a nice play, occasionally he'll right. get a nice deep ball and. Be able to make something happen after the catch, but more often than not, he makes a lot of bad plays. You're just like, well, nah, just I mean, like when, whenever you're talking about lack of play strength and bad hands, I'm just, I'm usually pretty out on you. Because like those are two things athlete, that I thought, so. yeah, those are two things that I thought hurt Will Fuller a little bit in the NFL. But Will Fuller was still a much better player, and was much better in those areas than 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 Xavier Worthy is. In yep. my view, and and Will Fuller's hands were shaky, but Will Fuller never had a drop when it mattered, ever. Right. And yep. and so and, yeah, I'm with and you. And Will and Will's a good like 14, 15 pounds heavier than Xavier Worthy, which is pretty exactly wild to think about. So, exactly. Yeah. 
It's nuts. It's actually kind of crazy to think about. Ryan, I'm going to take this next one from Erica, okay. also with a super chat. Thank you very, very much, Erica, because she is asking you a question. And she says, okay. Ryan, who do you think from Notre Dame will have a good combine next week? And who do you think non-Notre Dame will surprise everyone? And let's take that from a positive. Let's say a positive surprise. Yeah. Let's go with that. Yeah. I, I, I think that Notre Dame-wise – it's a great question. I think Cam Hart's going to turn some people's heads. I think that he, because he already measured in at the senior bowl and he was 6'2 and 7'8, 204 pounds with 32 and 5'8 inch arms and a almost 78 inch wingspan. So I think that some people are going to assume just based on body type that don't want, haven't watched him a ton, that he's not going to be a good athlete. And I think that people are going to be surprised that you know, maybe he jumps pretty well. He's explosive and then he runs a pretty good 40 for his size. Like, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if Cam Hart runs a 447 at nearly six foot three. Like I think that he could surprise some folks. I think both offensive tackles for Notre Dame are going to test pretty well. I really do. I, I, I don't necessarily think they're going to be like historical testers, but I think Joe Walsh is going to kind of solidify everything like another stamp, mm-hmm. another check mark there. And I wouldn't be surprised if Blake Fisher does some like stuff in like some of the short area explosive stuff where you're like, Oh, okay. That's interesting. Right. So two offensive tackles. And I think Cam Hart are probably my biggest, winners i guess if i have to predict them for the for the senior bowl guys that i think will shock some people that's a great um uh, that nine notre dame brian thomas jr from lsu's one uh, he is six five and i would be shocked if he doesn't run like four three five four three six that kid is a lightning in a bottle man he is incredibly explosive another one and a kind of an under radar one I just had a conversation with Tyrese Knight, who is a linebacker at a UTEP that not many people know, but it was that senior bowl had 140 tackles this past year. I'm pretty sure he led college football or was like top two to three in college football in total tackles this year. He had a great year for UTEP was at the senior bowl, 237 pounds. He's a little bit of a lighter linebacker in terms of he's a little bit shorter. He's only a smidge over six foot, but he's got 32 and a half inch arms. He told me that he's going to probably run somewhere around four, four, nine, as a inside linebacker, Ooh. which is, uh, yeah, that's moving, man. That's moving. Yeah. So a couple kids like that, I think will surprise folks. They're going to do some things. So and Marius Mims from George is another one. The offensive tackle. I think he's going to do some like freak show stuff where you're like, Oh man, what the heck is this? Tyrese, <laughs> Tyrese Knight's listed at six two two thirty five. So this isn't like a small, you know, small guy. That's, that's good size. He finished this year, Ryan sixth in total tackles, but he was second in solo tackles. This season, one behind the leader, uh, Sam from Sam Houston yeah. State, and only played twelve games this year. Yep. So, yeah, they stunk because his team did not make a bowl <laughs> game. So keep that in mind as well. He had double digit tackles in eight of the team's twelve games. He had nine in another and eight in two others. <laughs> yeah, fifteen so, and a half tackles for losses as yes. well, and like yes, four sacks and like seven pass breakups as well. Yeah. Like, yeah, he had a great season. <laughs> That's that's why I like solo tackles because like you know some of these like Jason Henderson rolled Dominion has 170 yep. tackles he had 52 solo tackles Ryan that's it he had 108 that means basically Old Dominion is gonna put like anybody that like like they they have the number one number three number eight players in the country in in uh, assisted tackles that just tells you that the statistician for Old Dominion basically is like anyone that's near the pile at the end of the play gets a solo tack gets an assist. Right. So that's why I like that looking at that solo tackle stuff. Cause 84 solo tackles is a lot 12 games in 12 of games. tackles. Yeah. 
a lot of tackles in 12 games. I mean, just just to give you an idea, Jalen Smith, who was one of the best linebackers I've seen play college football athletically, had 69 in his best season, 69 solo tackles. Uh, In Tavon Coney's season where he had 123 tackles and 20, he had 63 solo tackles. Manti Teo uh, in his four years had, uh, let's see here, where's Manti? Uh, 2010 as a starter, 2010, he had 64 solo tackles, 62 in 2011, 55 in his Heisman year, right? So like that puts into context 84 solo tackles. That's a lot of flipping. So that means you are around the ball. Yep. All and fi- the time. And fi- 15 and a half of them are behind the line of scrimmage, too. So it's not like he's just That's... tackling dudes down the field and pursuing. And he like, plays he for a really bad football team. So the game yes. plan is geared around, let's not let that guy take the game over. Let's be honest about yep. that. So, he's, yeah. he's been their leading tackler for the last three years as well. So, like, they know number 10 is their guy on defense. Yeah. yeah. They know. They know Ryan, one of the shows I'm looking forward to having with you is after the combine, we'll recap, obviously, how all the Notre Dame guys did. But I'm really looking forward to – we're going to have a show. I haven't told you about this yet, but we're going to have a show afterwards, so that week after, where we're going to kind of look – look at. it's going to be fun. Look ahead to the next combine, the 2025 combine, and what Notre Dame players we think are going to be there and what that impact could have. Because yeah. there's going to be some very intriguing and interesting combine guys for Notre Dame next year, in my opinion. So yeah. that's going to be a lot of fun to a lot of fun to look at because I'm looking forward to seeing barring it, you know, barring injury, no injury. I'm looking forward to seeing what Jack Kaiser does. At the con- I think Jack Kaiser is going to be one of those. If he gets invited, no one's going to be expecting him to go out and run a four or five and <laughs> do some of those right. things that I fully anticipate him doing. Doesn't mean it's going to change his draft standing, but he's going to be a guy that people are going to look at the combine and be like, dude, could move like that. And we're going to be like, yep, yeah. try to tell you, <laughs> try to tell you. <laughs> If Eli Raritan yeah. has a big year, man, he's at the combine yeah. and runs a one four something ten yard split. It's gonna be like, dang, dude, who's that? <laughs> Never, you're gonna crazy. Be, you're gonna be talking about the combine in ten years, and you're gonna still be bringing up the Eli Raritan thing. And I absolutely, I'm, I'm, I'm here for all of it. Uh, but next, you know, Ben Benjamin Morrison, Xavier Watts, yep. Jack Kaiser, Riley Mills. You know, there's gonna be some very interesting Chris Mitchell. Howard there's gonna be some very interesting. It's Howard Cross. Gonna be some very interesting guys next year for Notre Dame at the combine. Riley Leonard. It's another one, you know, he'll, yeah. so it's going to be very, that's going to be a fun show to do. Very, very yeah. fun show to do. We have John a one from which positions will the team leader in yards after catch emerge running back wide receiver tight ends. Will the team receiver, I mean, just from anything, just um, an opportunity standpoint, you know, you could have a running back that maybe gets more yards after the catch from a, per catch standpoint, but just you're just not going to see the volume, in my opinion, from a running back. So I'm going to say receiver. And, and tight end is just not a position where you're going to rack up a a ton yeah. of after-the-catch numbers. So receiver yeah. for me. Yeah, I mean, wide receiver, if we're just talking about the entirety, if we're just talking about the volume, the, the raw number perspective, John, but running back is usually one that if we're just talking about a per-catch type of situation – that's usually a guy that's usually high in yards after catch because there are usually a lot of check downs where they have a lot of space to operate, screen screen passes, like that type of thing. So running back, if it is a per catch average that you're talking about, wide receiver if you're just talking about volume. We had Isaac Evans. Do you like inside zone-based run schemes better against the modern 4-2-5 fronts than the old school 3-4 looks? 
Well, I love that against both Ryan. The, the only it's just different. You know, like you're not running, you're not running inside zone a million times against an old school four three team out of or three four team out of eleven personnel, right? I mean, right. just you just don't have enough guys, right? But of course, that's going to then present. They better hope they have a really good nickel or safety that can cover our slot, right? But it it just it's going to be different. You know, when when you were playing. You know, 20 years ago when you were playing more 3-4 teams, more true 3-4, you were a 21 personnel team, a traditional 21 personnel like the Broncos were. Uh, you know, you've got your fullback, your tight end, because you need to you need those guys to, to secure all the gaps to run inside zone. You know, when I was coaching, uh, first time I ran inside zone a ton when I was at Muhlenberg College, I mean, we ran it a ton out of, out of ace formation, right? Just 12 personnel split, you know, just – Two by two, tight ends attached, tight ends attached, and we're reading the front. You know, I mean, because we were facing three fours, four fours, three three stacks, things like that, and you had to make sure you had all the gaps secured. As teams have moved to more out of the getting players out of the box, as offensive has evolved, I'm still loving inside zone. I can just do so many more different things with it now against those type, you know, those different types of looks. So I don't think inside zone is better against the the two i just think it's just different and depending on how if you want to be more of a you know we're just running zone without the 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 quarterback options and reads then you know you're going to like it against a three four if you're someone who likes to run the three the, the inside zone with the locks and you know the the reads and those type of things and you're probably going to like a little bit more out of four two five but i mean i Ryan, I've I've been loving the inside zone since I was a teenager. I mean, it's just it's just yeah. I love the inside zone. I love the outside zone. I just it to me, it's one of those few run plays that is just it's it's gonna. I just have a hard time seeing it ever going out of style, just because it's so diverse that there's really no evolution that I can think of that is gonna make it not be something that's still part of somebody's day to day offense because you can. Like and that's the thing about it too, which is great about it is, it doesn't matter what what it's it's so much if if it's taught properly, it's not taught as here's how you block it against a four two. It's here's the principles of the inside zone, covered uncovered, open gap close gap, all that type of stuff to where it doesn't matter what look you throw at me, the rules are the rules, the calls are the calls, and and that's a little harder to do with some of the man schemes and gap schemes and things like that. And so it's it's really as timeless as a run concept as I as I as I can think of. It's just how you run it against those two looks is going to be way different out of personnel and things along those lines. That's really what right. changes uh, against the modern fronts and the old school looks. But inside zone is still a, a a thing of beauty in my opinion. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, you you out you out leverages you out leverage defenses with numbers a lot of the times, right? And that's formations. That's different, you know, motions to get to different looks out of an initial look. I, I just look if you're asking me, Isaac, if I if it was a three, it was a traditional three four, they're in their base defense. That's the only look you're getting for a reason, and you're stuck there, or a four three look and you're stuck there, right? I would I would rather go against a four three team just in principle. But to Brian's point, which is hundred percent correct, you're not just going against that look every single snap, right? Because I mean we can we can call a team a four three team all we want, we can call them a four two five, we can call them a three four. Teams are in subs so much that the base defense just doesn't matter as much anymore, man. Are you an odd man front team mostly? Or are you an even front team mostly? That's what matters more than just calling it a four two five or four three or three four whatever. 
because you're just in nickel and dime so much now. It, it really doesn't matter what bases. It really doesn't. It matters what your principles are as far as what your fronts you believe in, what your coverage on the back end believes, and making everything mesh in between. Like that really is what it comes down to. We have John A1, from which from which position do you expect to be second individual player on the team in rushing, running back, or quarterback? I think quarterback, I think, for me. So, for so you think a running back will lead the team in rushing and then the quarterback yes. will be number two? Yeah. I do. Yeah. I I, I think because I, I because I think the quarterback and the number two rusher will be kind of similar-ish, but I'll give the you know, I'll give Riley Leonard the the benefit of the doubt to be the second lead rusher over the second running back for me. I'm actually going to my initial reaction was to agree with you, Ryan, but I'm actually going to to disagree. Sort of. I think Riley Leonard will either be number one or two on the team in touchdowns rushing. But I could see a scenario where Riley repeats what he did two years ago, 700 yards, basically. But because you don't have an established, this is our workhorse like you did last year, I could see a scenario where if he rushes for 700 yards and the and the carries and the yards are split like they were in 2022, that he could be third. Because you'd have one guy with like 900, one guy with 800 like we saw two years ago. I mean, that's what it was two years ago. I think Audric had 922, and I think um, – uh, Audric had 830. I mean, excuse me, Audric had 8, 922. I think Logan had like 830, some around there. And so even if Riley repeats what he did two years ago, he'd still be third. I think there's a scenario where I, I, I think that's where I'm leaning more towards how the running back is going to be split up this year. I could actually see a situation where Jeremiah Love leads the team in rushing yards, but Jadarian Price leads the team in rushing attempts and very similar numbers overall. So I'm going to go there. If if one back emerges as the dude, then I'm going to agree with Ryan. Because then it's more of a 1,100, 1,200 for your number one, 500 to 600 for your number two, and Riley's above that guy. That's where I'm going to be. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with that one. But I think part of it depends on when you say, Ryan, if you think that there's going to be – if you think Jeremiah Love or Jeremiah Price is going to be the guy – then the odds of Riley Leonard being number two are going to be pretty pretty high. If you think it's going to be more of a split, I mean, and you could even get in a situation where Riley is is number one because there's three backs splitting those yards. I'm I'm less prone to look at that one, but it's going to be interesting to see how the running back room shakes out next year from a a, a, a touches standpoint. It's sure. very interesting. Mike Denbrock played a lot of backs this past two years at, at LSU. Part of it was out of necessity, you know, but yep. he he showed he can use different types of runners more than we we really saw in past years. At Cincinnati, it was Jerome Ford was the guy. At Notre Dame, it was player. CJ. Then when CJ got hurt, it was it was then Josh took over. But you, you saw much more of a rotation this past past couple of years. We had Irish Blood. It said, "Listen to some of the Saturday show." On coordinators, do you think as a pair, Notre Dame has been has better coordinators than Ohio State? And who has paid more, do you think, or worth more as a pair? That's a great question. So, Ryan, I'm going to ask you a question. And I'm going to uh, – if you yep. want to answer it, it'd be fun. Because we had this – Sean and I had this discussion on Saturday. The, the conversation was, who are the top five coordinator duos in college football? And so okay. we, we both listed our top fives, and we had three of the same – and we had uh, two different. So we both had Notre Dame. We both had Ohio State. We both had Florida State. I had Utah and Oregon. 
and he had Louisville and Texas. And then we talked about some others. So while I'm giving my answer to this, if you want, think about who you would count as your top five. That's a, that's uh, a lot of research. Off, we we researched it. You can just kind <laughs> yeah. of get off the top of your head. Uh, so if I were to if I were to rank the two, it's it's hard for me to 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 really do it because we haven't seen Chip Kelly be a coordinator in so long. That's my only hesitation. But if Chip Kelly just kind of it's like a glove. He's been the play you know, caller, just, though, hasn't he? Yeah, but it's caller, like yeah. he I don't think he's ever not been the play caller. Right. If 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 it's like kind of like, hey, he just makes that transition from not being the head coach to coordinator smoothly, then I think it's Ohio State, with all due respect. I think as good as Al Golden was this year, Florida State was every bit as good, but Flor- I mean Ohio State, excuse me, was every bit as good. And Ohio State statistically, and then Ohio State was 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 better in year one than Al Golden was in year one under Jim Knowles. And then Jim Knowles' defense in 2021 at Oklahoma State was outstanding. I mean, so you said three years in a row, he's had pretty good defensive play. So I'd, I'd probably give the slight odd edge to him, although the counter to that would be, I would argue that Al Golden played against better offenses and better quarterbacks on a week-to-week basis than did Ohio State. Uh, and then, you know, Mike Denbrock versus Chip Kelly. I love Mike Denbrock, but, I mean, Chip Kelly's a really good freaking coordinator. So yeah. I would probably lean towards Ohio State, but I wouldn't argue with anybody that wants to put Notre Dame number one. I, to me, those are the clear top two coordinator duos in college football, in my opinion. Mike Denbrock is the only the only play caller to have two top ten. Uh, no, excuse me. Mike Denbrock and Lincoln Riley are the only two play callers to have two top ten offensive efficiency te- teams that ranked in the top ten in offensive efficiency each of the last two years. It's only one, Mike Denbrock is, and Link or only two, Mike Denbrock and Lincoln Riley. So that that's pretty good. But but again, you know, part of the reason I have Utah is because you, what, it's not about where you rank, but are you getting the most out of what you have? And I, I think Chip Kelly put a couple really good offenses on the field with not great talent at UCLA, and yeah. I just I, I give the slide edge to Ohio State, but I think those are to me the t- the clear two top when you in 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 the conversation Ryan, you can include head coaches if they're the play caller so you if with texas sean was including sark with you at usc you're including lincoln riley uh so i Mm -hmm. think those are the top two for me right now i would give ohio state the slight edge as far as who's paid more i I still don't know the particulars of mike denbrock or or al Al golden's salaries i think al's about going to be about two and a half a million a year i would imagine denbrock will be close so it's going to be very similar. I, I don't know what Chip Kelly's going to be making um, at Ohio at, at at Notre. I mean at, at Ohio State. And uh, let me see here. I can see if I can find Jim Knowles is. Um, let's see here. Looks like he's making a little under two. Is what it looks like here. So I would imagine Al Golden's going to be getting paid more than him. So I would imagine, unless Chip Kelly got a huge deal that you add the two together, Notre Dame's core is probably going to be making slightly more, but that'll always be guessed because Notre Dame doesn't release salary numbers. So that'd be my mm-hmm. guess. So Ryan, have you been able to quickly do the research that Sean and I did over two days that you get five minutes, two minutes to do? Have you been, able, have you been able to just off top of your head? I, I mean, there, I mean, there's some that stick. Yeah. There's some that stick out. I mean, Ohio state would have obviously been on that list. I would agree with you that I would give the slight edge to Ohio state. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've been a Jim big a big Jim Knowles fan for a long time, and I think everybody that's watched this show has known for a while that I'm 
very high on Chip Kelly, the play designer yep. and the play caller. I yep. think that he's tremendous. I mean, especially in the run game, man, he is just a tremendously innovative offensive mind from a run game perspective. So Ohio State would be on there. Notre Dame would be on there. I would put Utah as well on there because I think Andy Ludwig is excellent and Morgan Scally is probably the best defensive coordinator no one talks about. He's a yes. foundationally impressive defensive coordinator. Florida State's a good one. I One other one that I would just throw out there is that I think it's going to be a very good one is USC, I think, now has a very good coordinator acquiring. Yeah. Uh, the, the Anton Lynn, I think, is a really good defensive coordinator. It kind of a little bit of a you know, his resume is not quite to that of obviously of a Jim Knowles or like an even Al Golden now, but he did right. a tremendous job at UCLA this past year. And over the last couple of years, I think that he is going to be a really good one. And then Lincoln Riley, all his faults as a head coach, it's a really good offense coordinator. Yes. <laughs> like he's 100%. a brilliant offensive mind. Yeah. Ryan, so when I talked about USC, I did it. So the way I broke yeah. it down is I did my five. I did my yeah. who else I considered. Like I also considered Michigan State. I mean, with Joe Rossi, the D coordinator, and Brian Lindgren plus Jonathan Smith. So we went through all yeah. those lists. And then I did a here's guys I'm keeping an eye on in 2025. And my one on DeAnton Lynn is I just need to see him do it under Lincoln Riley. He did a great sure. job this year, but I, I'm not sure you can be a great core defensive coordinator under Lincoln Riley. We haven't seen it done yet. And, and so if he can do it again this year, then you are spot on because he's going to be facing a completely different circumstances week after week at USC than UCLA. But to your point, I mean, he took a defense that I think gave up like, what was it, like 29 points a game the year before and dropped them, I think, sub 20. Yeah. When I did a show a couple weeks ago, uh, I, I broke down like the pressure numbers and where Notre Dame would rank if they had the same number of, of drop back opportunities, other defenses. And, they finished first in total pressures and Saxon hits a lot, but the only times that they didn't, they were number two is because they were behind UCLA. They had 115 total hits plus sacks from the quarterback this year. Like, that's yep. nuts. That's really and he, good. And he create he created a lot of those pressures. Like Liatu Latu is a really good pass rusher they had, but the Murphy twins who are good players. I mean, one will get drafted in the NFL. The other one's probably a priority for agent, but like, it's not like you're talking about like they just had horses and horses of great players. I mean, they have, it was just a very well constructed defense in my opinion. So I was, I yeah. was impressed by what coach Lynn did this year. Yeah. Here's, here's a sleeper one for me, Ryan. And I know why you're going to disagree with me, but I'll say this. If I'm right about Tom Allen as a D coordinator, then Penn state is going to have a really filthy coordinator combination because Kansas has been well not Kansas but Andy how do you say his last name he also had success before Kansas he had some he had a top 10 offense where did he come from was it uh Buffalo I think right wasn't he with Buffalo uh, that's right he was with Lance Lee he had a top 10 efficiency offense in in one of his last two years at Buffalo so like, and I think another year, actually, I have the numbers here, Ryan. I should, why am I guessing and pulling out of my head? I actually have the numbers here. So Penn yep. State on offense, they were 80th in 2021 in efficiency. His his last year, I think that was his first year at Kansas, right? They were at Kansas three years, correct? Sounds so right. his last his last year at Buffalo, they had the number six. This is the Fermo efficiency index. They had the number six efficiency offense in 2020. They were number 80 in his first year at Kansas, because they were terrible the year before, jumped up to 14 in 2022, and they were ninth this past season. So okay. th that's excellent. 
And, and yep. as I said, I, you know, Tom Allen put multiple top 30 defenses together at Indiana. So I like that combination. I, I think James Franklin had a very good offseason. And as long as he doesn't screw it up, I think, I think they're going to have a really dynamic coordinator combination. So there's some interesting ones to look at, Ryan. Um, and I was surprised at how high Texas ranked in efficiency the last two years on defense. They actually ranked oh, yeah, higher on defense the last two years, and they did. They were seventh this past year and eleventh the year before in defensive P- efficiency. P. Kiyakowski's their yeah. DC, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Former linebacker. Was, um, yeah. Chris Peterson's D coordinator during some of their really good years at Washington before Jimmy Lake took over. So uh, they're another yep. one that was just on. They were next on my list in my top six. Well, but I don't think well, people Sark's, respect Sark's a Sark's a great offensive coordinator. He's a great great offensive, offensive line, line so. no yeah. doubt. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I don't think people, but I don't think people respect the job that the two guys at Utah have done the last few years. Like they're oh, outstanding. Yeah. They're great. They are they're absolutely great. outstanding. Yep. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.